All right, so I'm excited this morning. We're going to do something that we've only done once before, and we're going to begin to go through a book together. It wasn't too long ago that we had, had gone through the book of James and, and taken things verse by verse, and we're going to do that uh, in the book of First Peter. So what that means simply is this, is that we're, we want to encourage you that this is actually something that you can kind of come prepared and kind of read up for, if you will, on a Sunday mornings in the future. So we're going to begin in First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to just take things verse by verse and see what the Lord has to say to us from the book of First Peter. So moving forward, and we're going to probably go through all the way through chapter 1 today. I would encourage you to take a look at chapter 2 next week. But what's cool about First Peter is that it was written by the Peter that you know of. Peter that you think of, the one that, as they said, was impetuous. It was like, Jesus, I'll follow you no matter what. The same guy that said, you know, hey, tell me to come walk out on the water and I'll come. And he did. He went and walked out until he was afraid and began to sink. That same guy, the same guy that even though he had that kind of passion for God, also um, turned away completely. Or he said, Lord, I'll go no matter where you want me to. I'm with you. But then Jesus said, you know, as a cock crows three times or when it does, you're going to turn away. And he did. He denied who Jesus was. He didn't say he was even one of his followers. It says that he denied him three times. And so you've got this Peter who's just really strong and, and bold and excited to be a follower of Christ and then one who's, who's turned away. And what's interesting about the book of 1 Peter, though, is it's really a book about people that are going through trials, people that are going through difficult situations. And facing those trials, facing those things that are around you, how is it that a believer should be? How is it that a believer can stand strong and honor God with so much stuff that's going on around them? And in the book of 1 Peter, in the very beginning, we, this was written during a pretty, pretty crazy time. There's an account by a Roman historian whose name is Tacitus, and he writes this in his book called Annals that was published a few years after Rome uh, was burnt. You ever heard the story of Rome? The guy who was the emperor at the time was Nero. And Nero was basically famous for his cruelty in particular to the Christians. And basically there's, there's a couple of different accounts of things, but it seems to boil down to the fact that Nero was responsible literally for setting Rome on fire, yet blaming it on the believers, blaming it on the Christians. And Tacitus writes about that, and he says this. I'm just kind of run and read this to you a little bit. It says, Therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished the most fearful tortures. The persons commonly called Christians who were generally hated for their enormities. Christus, or the, he's talking about Christ, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, but the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out yet again, not only through Judea where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also, whether all things horrible and disgraceful flow from all quarters, as to a common receptacle and where they are encouraged. Now, of course, this is written by a Roman historian, so there's some words in there that you're like, what? I've had the pleasure of reading it about five times to understand it, right? <laughs> but... Anyway, let me get to the bottom of it here. So it says, in their very deaths, they were made the subjects of sport, okay? For they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs, 
or nailed to crosses or set fire to. And it says, and when day waned, in other words, when it, when it became dark, they were burned to serve for the evening lights. Nero himself and his own gardens would take Christians and put them up on stakes and just set them to fire to bring light to his garden. That's the scenario, that's the backdrop that we're facing as we get into the book of 1 Peter. Because you're going to see in a moment, Peter's writing to Christians who have been exiled, who've been, um, the, the disper- they've been dispersed, they've been spread out because of the persecution that's taken place. What's interesting about Peter, as we've talked, you know, Peter was a passionate guy. At the same time, he was a guy who had turned away. And we see that famous meeting with him and Jesus, where Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? You know, Peter's kind of hurt because he knows where he's been, where his heart's been, right? This same guy, though, what's amazing about Peter, I'm not sure the exact timing, but Peter was married, it says, in the video. He actually had to watch his wife be crucified in front of him. His wife was crucified in front of him, but then Peter also came at the time for Peter. Peter was crucified as well, but this is the passion that Peter died with for Jesus. He, he had to be crucified as well. They crucified him, but Peter said, you know, I don't want to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. And he actually requested to be crucified upside down. So Peter was crucified upside down. That's how he died. So this book of 1 Peter is written in this backdrop of Nero and this persecution. And so as we begin to read 1 Peter, I just want you to think about that in the background. So this book of 1 Peter begins, and you think, what is he going to say to these people? What is he going to say to other Christians who are facing all this? How do you live for Jesus in the midst of, in this case, crazy persecution? What do you do? So this is what he has to say in the first chapter today. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, the exiles of the dispersion, to these places that you saw in the video in, in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The people he is addressing are those that are facing the persecution, those that have had to be run away to other places. Grace and peace be to you. He starts there and he's going to break down what it means for them to live in these circumstances, what it is that God is calling us to. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us this living hope. It's not this, this hope that's past. It's something that's literally alive right now, this hope that you have even in the middle, the center of all this struggle, all the craziness that's going on around you. This living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We see this hope because, you know what? You see these people facing this persecution around you, 
But we have the hope of Jesus Christ who, who didn't just die on a cross. What happened on the third day is that Jesus rose again from the grave. You know, we, we look at death, I mean, that's, that's the end. There's nothing else I can do at this point. But here we have Jesus who rose from the grave that said, even death will not hold me down. There is nothing that you can do to me. Jesus showed the power over death. There is nothing, in other words, that you will ever face, nothing you will ever go through that Jesus cannot handle. And here we have this living hope in Jesus who was, was raised from the dead. In verse 4 it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There is this inheritance, there is this hope that we have. We think of one day being with Christ. We think about what heaven will be like. What does it mean to be in his presence? And this is not an inheritance that fades away. This is not something that, that won't be there when our, when our time comes. You know, we think about all these things. Diane and I have thought a lot about this for our financial peace class. About, and we talked about it last week about, you know, life insurance and being prepared for all this stuff when that time comes. And, and you know, as you try to prepare for those things, one of the things you hear all the time is, will Social Security be there when I come to that age? Will, you know, they're talking even at work, and one of the biggest reasons she got this job was this pension that she has for the state. Will the pension be there when the time comes for us to take from it? Is it just going to fade away? All this money, all this effort I've been putting into it, will it be there when the time comes? And Jesus says, this is an inheritance that never fades, never spoils, it never goes away, that is stored up and ready for you. This living hope, this inheritance as children of God. His promises, in other words, are true and they never fade away. And so it says in verse 6, and I would encourage you guys, by the way, if you have, I know this is on the screen, but if you're a tactile person like me, maybe bring your actual physical Bible, you know, have it in front of you, or, if, or really for me lately it's been my phone. So if you want to pull it up, let's just say that, by the way, phones are okay in church, okay? All right? So, you know, no one's going to be like, oh, my gosh, they're playing on their phone. It's, you know, dude, I'm on the Bible app, okay? So if you want to even pull it up in front of you, I'm using the ESV version, okay? Uh, so First Peter chapter 1, and we are at uh, verse 6. So that's the kind of inheritance that it is. And it says this in verse 6, in this you rejoice. Rejoice thinking about that, okay? Though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Rejoice thinking about it, but you're going through some serious stuff right now. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's this aspect where trials, and we saw this when we looked at the book of James, that trials are really actually an important thing in our life. We never 
seem to take joy in those things, like the book of James says, but we need to begin to change our perspective when we face various trials. When we face those things, there's that testing that takes place that does make us stronger, that does purify, if you will, our faith, that does give us this genuineness, this tested genuineness of faith. Let's just give you an example. Yesterday, my mom and I, better watch out for us because we're going to be packing. We, uh, we took our CWP training yesterday. And so, you know, I never in my life would have imagined that my mom's in the booth right next to me with a revolver. My, I promise I'll listen from here on out. <laughs> you know, I trust you. So, anyway, we, the state requires an eight-hour training so that, you know, not just any bonehead is out there packing heat, okay? You want to make sure you understand what you're doing. You understand the laws. You understand that you're responsible for every bullet, that you're responsible for the situation that you're in, all that kind of thing. And so we've been barraged with all this knowledge in the state going through the day. Here's a good scenario, bad scenario. You can do this. You can't do this. This is how you're supposed to handle your gun, you know, all this kind of stuff. You have to be tested so that when the time comes that you are prepared to understand the genuineness that you really do know how to handle a gun. All this information is great, but it's not until you're tested that you really see and understand where you stand. How well do you really grasp the information? And I remember we were barraged with all this information and, and we went to lunch and my mom's like quizzing me on this stuff and I'm thinking, we're gonna come back to this. You know, we're going to review this again. And next thing you know, we're kind of sitting there. The guy's like, all right, here's the test. Put all your stuff away. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. When it comes to the point of filling in the blanks, do I remember this stuff? There's a written test. But then there's also the test where you have to get out on the range. Now, I'll say I, I got a 100, by the way. But here's the embarrassing thing that I haven't even told Diane until right now, that I didn't really want to tell her, but the Lord's like, it'll make a great illustration. We get there, we're at the range and there's about 12 of us or so, 12 to 18, I'm not sure how many of us. The first group gets up and they all go in their booths and we're second. So we get the pleasure of watching them go first and they put up all the targets and they run the targets back and the guy's very specific about how you're supposed to handle things. Do not touch the gun until I tell you to, make sure that you, the finger is a certain way. I mean, everything is very precise. And we had to sign off on this stuff before we even got out there that said that we understood how to use a gun. He said, if you check the box that you know what you're doing and we get out on the range, and it's going to become very obvious that you know or you really don't know what you're doing. And you'll probably get a couple of warnings if it comes to the point that we understand you don't have any clue, you're going to be gone. You're going to fail my class. So I'm thinking... I, you know, I've shot the gun that I have maybe three or four times, but I, I'm not a beginner. I, I'm, I'm good. And so we get out there for the time of testing, and the first guys go through, and I'm looking at it, and oh, they're spread out all over the place. And, you know, we get up there, and the first step that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to load your gun. My gun's there. He said, all right, load your gun. So I'm getting five shells and putting it in the magazine and slide it in the gun. And so I do that. All right, all right, one round. And so everyone gets ready to take their one round, their one shot. You hear, you know, and so I go ahead and I focus it in. I take my shot and I just hear click, 
Nothing happens. What in the world? I look down at my gun and my magazine isn't pushed in all the way. So the guy's like, oh, you know, shove it back in, take another shot, click. What the heck am I doing wrong? The guy says, let me see your gun. He takes it, pulls it out, looks at the magazine. The five rounds that I put in my magazine, I didn't even know it was even possible, were turned around backwards. So I am so embarrassed. And I'm thinking, he is just going to kick me off the range. You know, I'm out. Ma, it's been fun. But he was just very calm. He said, turn your bullets around and let's try this again. <laughs> so everyone has already shot and they're waiting on me. So I turn the bullets around, everything straight. I don't know how in the world I did it. Go back in there and take, take a shot. And the very first shot that I took, thank God, it was actually, couldn't be more dead center. It was like in the literal hairs of this huge target, right dead center. So the guy's like, all right, he's, maybe he's not a complete idiot. And I ended up getting 100 on what I actually shot. But until you're tested, we don't understand the genuineness of what, of your faith in this, in this sense. You know, how much do you, where really is your passion for Christ? Peter even said, he stepped out on the water and, and he walked for a while, and then he got afraid. It's not that, you know, we're going to be perfect, but there's, the time comes that you are going to be tested. What do you really believe? Are you, will you really trust in the Lord? We've used this illustration before. I can see this chair. I have all kinds of knowledge about this chair. It's got four legs. It looks comfortable. But I am not exhibiting any real faith in this chair until the time comes that I actually sit in it. That's the time where, where faith is tested. I am willing to sit in the chair. I'm willing to be tested. It says, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There were Christians all over that had been exiled, that their faith was tested, and they were standing strong for Christ in the middle of all kinds of craziness. And this is really a fabulous verse. Let's look at verse 8. This is that faith that's, that's amazing. It says this, Though, I want you to read this with me, if you can see it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In verse 8, again, though you've not seen him, you love him. You know, we come and gather every Sunday for an opportunity to worship the Lord, and we come together, and we can't see him with our physical eyes, do we? But we have faith, and we know that he's here. And I think it was, I don't know who it was, I think it was Billy Graham that says, you know, we can't see the wind. You don't actually see it, do you? But what do you see? You see the effects of the wind. You see a branch that's blown, leaves that are swirling around. You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
That's the kind of faith that we need to continue to hold on to in the midst of anything that we face. The trials that we face now, probably compared, obviously, to what we just mentioned, that the church was going through at the time, don't even compare. But that doesn't mean that they're any less important to the Lord. The things that we face, the things that we're going through, the same principles apply. Thank goodness we have the opportunity to try out that faith on smaller things before the time comes that we face life and death situations that these believers were facing. And so Peter continues in verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. A, a passage that simply says the prophet's who prophesied long ago of the Messiah that was to come, of Jesus that was to come, it was revealed to them that this is what it's all been about. It's all, we've all been waiting for Jesus. We've all been waiting for this act of him on the cross and his resurrection and the gospel, the good news that's come as a result of that. And what's so cool about it is it says this, I love this, There's, it says things in verse... Um, the end of verse 12. Where is it at? Okay, yeah. Things into which angels long to look. The angels themselves long to look into these things. The angels who are in front of the presence of God look and, 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 and want to see what's going on because they can barely understand what it is that God, why does he love humanity so much? that he himself was willing to come and to be human and to die. Why would, why would the Creator do that? Things that the angels even long to look in and say, this is amazing, the love that our Creator has for these people. It's amazing. A uh, pastor friend of mine, remember as a, as a teenager, I had made him actually a statue that had that uh, in my art class angel kind of just looking like this over and had the reference at the bottom. Really cool. But things angels long to look into. The, the, the love that God has for us is huge. So what do, we, what do we do about this? I mean, this is the kind of faith that we're supposed to have. But Peter takes this even, even further. There's this calling that he's given us. I think this is kind of a, another method of uh, preparation, if you will, of the to make sure we have the faith that we need to have, how we, how we view these things, these trials that we face. In verse 13, it's this big word that says, therefore, right? Therefore tells you what it's there for. How brilliant is that? Therefore, let's look at this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy 
in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. It says some, some simple things here, preparing your minds for action. That's one of those things that, that doesn't just happen. You know, we, what he's saying essentially is if you're going to face trials, if you're going to face difficulties, you've got to have the right mindset. You know, when we, we, we're often caught off guard when we face trials, when we run into different circumstances, you know, we're not prepared. What does a mind that's prepared for trial look like? You know, that's, you hear this stuff all the time, and for some of us, maybe it just becomes a drudgery and you don't do it or you haven't done it. But what's, what's the point behind spending time with the Lord? What's the point behind what we, what we call a devotional? What's the point behind going to Bible studies? What's the point behind coming here on Sunday mornings? That time spent with the Lord, that time getting our mind rearranged back on what it needs to be focused on helps us when we face the trials that we face. If you're just coming on Sundays, that's great. But there needs to be time in all of our lives where we spend some more intimate time with the Lord to really help us to be ready for difficulties that we face. You know, it's, it's no different with, with other things. You know, we, if you have a, a sport that you play, well, you know, getting ready for this shooting yesterday, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> My mom had spent about three different times I saw on Facebook going and, and getting, you know, shooting at targets and getting your gun ready. If I'd done that at least once, I'm sure my bullets would have been turned around the right way. <laughs> Just once. You know, don't set your gun down, by the way, for a year and never look at it. Even what you think you know. You, know, you could be in that situation with your bullets backwards. You don't set things down. Be prepared. And that's what he's talking about here. Be prepared. Have, have your minds prepared for action. It says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, the, the way that you used to live. Don't continue to be molded by the old you before Christ and those things and those habits and all those things. But leave those things aside. Instead, it says, but as he called you as holy, you also be holy. There's this calling that God says, because I am holy, because I am, I am perfect, okay? We won't be, we're forgiven, we're not perfect, Okay, but nonetheless, the Lord says, I have, because of who I am, there is a, a calling on your life that I want you to, to be holy because I am holy. In other words, this, there's this pursuit of holiness because of who God is. 
that we would want to be more like him in every area, in every aspect of our lives. The things we think about, the things we, we say, the things we look at, the things we do, our interactions with, with people and our relationships with others, everything. That's not a calling that comes from just Christian people in general. That's what God says, is be holy because I am holy. In other words, he says, you know what, I know the very best way to live. You think you do, maybe? I'm going to tell you, you really don't. Because it's kind of really simple if you think about it. Who's the one that made us? He did. If anybody knows what makes us tick, if anybody knows how we're put together, if anyone knows what real happiness is, it's going to be him. And yet so many times we don't acknowledge that. We don't think about that. We turn away from that. We say, I know better. And we really don't. We really don't. We need to be more and more like him. Let's wrap things up. The last, last passage we'll look at today finishes it up, 1 Peter chapter 1. And it says, Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but it says this, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Really to kind of sum, sum that up and to sum up the chapter in some ways, this, this last little part is this aspect of genuine love too. Are you acting towards each other, especially in the church and all your relationships with not just a, as it says earlier, a genuine faith, but a genuine love for each other? Is it fakery, you know, or is it the, is it the real deal? And I've seen too much of the fake stuff in the South, you know, this pretend, be nice kind of stuff. Lord wants us to exhibit to each other genuine love genuine love the real deal the word of the Lord remains forever do we have genuine love and do we have really what this chapter has been about in so many ways do we have a genuine faith that even when it's tested that it stands up and I would encourage us to really kind of think through some of those things to truly place, to continue to trust in the Lord and, and to, to work that out. The Bible says in other places to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, continue to place your faith in Him and to go to Him rather than your own knowledge in everything that we face. Um, there's a lot of trials, there's a lot of things that we will face, things that will come up this week, stuff even today. How will you handle that? Will you trust in yourself or will you trust in him? Will you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your word. We thank you for First Peter. Lord, I thank you for the example of Peter who uh, 
just loved you with an undying passion. And Lord, had such a strong faith in you. Lord, we thank you for your words today. Lord, we pray that you would give us a faith that is, that is strong. Lord, even when tested, Lord, that, that we honor you in everything. There's going to be moments we face today, moments we face this week where we, we have a decision to make whether we're going to honor you or not. And there's little small tests to our faith just every day. Lord, help us to be strong. Help us to honor you in everything that we say and do. Lord, make us stronger, Lord, so that when times of even greater testing come, that we just continue to trust and rely upon you, knowing that as long as we have you, we really have everything. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.